Welcome back. We've got a special show prepared just for you today. This episode will feature not one, not two, but three board game connoisseurs who also just so happen to be dentists. That's right. Kyle is joining me again along with a special guest, Jacob Gowans, to discuss the ever-burning question of how to find games and gamers to game with. We'll be sharing our best strategies for growing a game collection, culling a game collection, finding and making friends with hobbyist gamers, and growing the hobby by bringing in newcomers. After that, we'll talk about steaming hot games that we've been playing and purchasing recently. My name is Nick Murray, and this is the Bytewing Games Podcast. So, today we are joined by not only Kyle, but also a new guest to the Bytewing Games podcast, Jacob Gowans. Jacob actually reached out to us uh, a little while back because he also happens to be a dentist and a gamer in in this hobby of ours. And, uh, you know, we're not a dentist-exclusive podcast, and it's probably starting to sound like it is because <laughs> that's the only <laughs> only people who've been talking on the show thus far. And and uh, we actually have some plans to change that in the near future. But we thought, hey, why not bring another fellow dentist onto the podcast? Not to talk about dentistry. Well, maybe it's a tiny bit. I mean, it's it's hard not to throw three dentists together and, and uh, keep them from speaking teeth. But um, to talk about board games. So, Jacob... Uh, you brought up some interesting topics that we want to talk about today as far as uh, growing the hobby, both within your collection and within your social group. And uh, so we want to get into that. But before we do, why don't you share with us how you found your way into the board game hobby? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so when I was in dental school, uh, I had this guy that was I went to church with and he would always bug me. Hey, man, you want to come over and play like? Star Trek, uh, the Star Trek card game I got. I was like, I'm not really into Star Trek. Thank you though. You know, like, you know, maybe, maybe something else, maybe some other time. And you know, four years of four years were going by, and finally during my senior year, this guy comes up. And he's like, Hey man, I got this brand new board game. It's like a dungeon crawler game, and it's really cool, really fun. You got to come over and try it. And I was like, oh, I don't know, man. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm gonna be leaving this area soon. I maybe you should find. He kept begging me, please come over and play this game. I was like, All right, let's let's play this game. So the game that he wanted to teach me was called Descent, the first edition of Descent. And um, I played it with him. We probably were in there in his basement playing it for five hours. And, and I, I was blown away by how awesome that game was. And as soon as I graduated from dental school, I went out and bought a copy for myself and uh, showed it to my buddy who was kind of into board games. And, and he was like, and, and I just kind of took off from there. He introduced, my, my friend introduced me to Board Game Geek and um, all these different types of games that are out there. And for me, it just kind of, once I started actually getting paychecks, I started to be able to afford to buy board games and it, it just went, went crazy from there. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like as a student, it's tough to, to uh, fully embrace the hobby. I know I probably Kyle knows this, that I was able to fund some of my, um, you know, over the top board game purchases with specifically <laughs> with the, uh, football tickets from the Ohio state football games. <laughs> so <laughs> you can get those, those tickets pretty cheap and, and uh, they are 
you know, top dollar for people who want to buy resold tickets. That's what helped fuel mine. But Descent, huh? They kind of threw you right into the deep end there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a beast of a game. It you know, t- an average session takes at least three, maybe four hours. Dang. That's crazy. Yeah. When I introduce people, I always start with a nice ticket to ride or splendor or something. This is 30, 45 minutes. That's all you're putting in. It's about trains or jewels, nothing but nothing crazy, but but they jumped right into a dungeon crawler. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, glad it worked out. Um, yeah. yeah. So I imagine for all of us who have, you know, gotten a little too deep into this hobby, but really enjoyed every minute of it. Um, we, our collections have grown over time and we've kind of learned our personal tastes and preferences. Um, I talk about that quite a bit on the podcast, but uh, for you guys, what, what do you use to help grow your collection specifically to, to find your favorite games? Cause it, it's, there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds coming out thousands every year. And it's so easy for publishers and designers to jump into the market these days and, and put out their own design and um, the barriers of entry are just keep seeming to come down with each year. So how do you find your favorite games um, to add to your collection? I think it's a hard thing. There's a, there's a lot of so many resources out there and only so much time in a day that I can spend on my phone looking at board games before my wife tells me I have a problem. And um, <laughs> but th- So there are a lot of resources. I do podcasts a lot. I'll listen to a few different podcasts that they talk about board games and they talk about their top 10 games. And that for me is really helpful. I start to see trends of what games people like and I like the same games. And, um, so that's a good way. I also always enjoy Kickstarter. I, I love to support, especially like first time creators that, Hey, they're trying to put out a game or they've created this awesome game. They spent the last five years designing. I love to go read through and watch some videos about games that people have created. And um, I feel like I'm supporting people, but really that's just my way of convincing myself and my wife that it's okay for me to spend more money on another game. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. some, some definitely great ways to find stuff. How about you, Jacob? I'm a firm believer that the cream rises to the crop. So a lot of times, you know, I frequent uh, the Reddit, the subreddit called board games. Um, in fact, I think that's where I might've heard about your podcast first was there. Nice. Um, I also um, pay close attention to the movement in the board game geek top uh, 100 list. Mm. In fact, there's a guy who uh, every month on the, like the first or the second of the month, he usually publishes a list and shows like what games have dropped out of the top 50 what games have entered the top 50, uh, how many, how many people are like voting for them and playing them and stuff like that. And, um, working geek also does a good job of like kind of tracking this thing called the hotness, which talks about like the, the board games, which whose, whose forums are the most active at that time. And so, um, there's a lot of big games will tend to generate a lot of hype. And so, it's a careful balance between like investigating, but not getting sucked into the hype, especially if it's a Kickstarter that has a ton of miniatures, we're going to drop like $300. I mean, I've, I've, I've done it before. I've dropped like, you know, hundreds of dollars on a Kickstarter campaign <laughs> only to find out that it probably wasn't worth the investment. Um, but uh, I also follow every Sunday morning on the subreddit for board games. Uh, this, these two different guys publish upcoming Kickstarters and um, the, the Kickstarter roundup, which talks about, all the games that are coming out that week or that are, that are in their first week and then that are leaving that week. And so I'll, I'll keep that, keep tabs on that to kind of see like what, um, what catches my eye. But after, after 10 years of board gaming, 
I've kind of gotten a pretty good idea of like what I'm going to play and what's not going to get played. And uh, a lot of that just takes time. Like if you're new to the hobby, you don't really know what you like yet. And so you do have to kind of go out and try new games, whether it's buying them or a friend who has a bunch of board games and finding out what you like and don't like. Yeah. I'm a frequent lurker of the, the Reddit board games page as well as board game geek. And uh, they've been super helpful resources. The communities there are fantastic. Uh, they have a daily recommendation post on Reddit where you can just go in and say, Hey, I'm looking for this kind of game. Um, what do you guys recommend? And they always have great recommendations. Um, sometimes I'll, you know, when I'm bored, I'll throw down a few recommendations for people and, and hope they find something that they like there as well. So uh, one thing I really have found helpful for me personally on board game geek is, is what's called the geek buddy tool. Now, if you pull up any, game page on board game geek it has the title at the top and then a short description of it right below and then right below that it has three links the ratings the comments and the geek buddy analysis and so the geek buddy analysis is nice because i can click that and it will show me um specific people who i've added as a geek buddy uh their ratings and their comments on that particular game and so if i find somebody on board game geek or i have a friend who is a regular and and they keep i guess their records up to date on the games they're playing and, and how they like them, then I can click, click this button and instantly see like, okay, how does everybody that I'm kind of familiar with feel about this particular game? And then that kind of informs me how likely I am to enjoy it too. Um, for example, I have like Tom Vassell on there. I have Quentin Smith from uh, uh, Shut Up and Sit Down. Uh, a lot of podcasters that I follow as well as some friends that I've I've made gaming along the way who also keep regular um, board game geek accounts. So that's been very helpful for me. And, and like what you guys have said, you know, following, uh, you know, regular updates, whether it's from content creators or others. And my, honestly, my favorite publishers and designers, I'm always keeping tabs on them. So it's, it's hard not to support what they put out next, especially if they have, if they feel like they're on a, a roll as far as like me enjoying everything they put out. So cool. Well, you know, we've, we've all, gotten pretty good at finding games that we enjoy and and you know clicking the purchase button and and hopefully getting them to the table um but on the other side of that um it can be easy to to kind of go too far or to have more games than you can than you're able to play and keep on top of and also um you know as you play more and more games and as you play the same games multiple times you find that your tastes and preferences change or they grow or they evolve and so over time, you end up with a lot of games that maybe are not getting played as much. And so then there comes this idea of culling your collection. And so what are, you, what are you guys' thoughts on that? And and how do you feel that has helped you in this hobby? I think it is a... <clears throat> I, I really enjoy the board game hobby and community, and there's a lot of things I love. One thing I almost struggle with a little bit is I feel like people have this idea of board games being trophies like look at this giant wall or room i have full of board games and all of them that i've collected and everyone oh my gosh that's amazing and i think it's good like i think that's cool but i really have always enjoyed playing board games and so i i don't feel attached to a board game in the sense of like hey look how many i've collected more like am i getting them to the table am i playing them am i experiencing the games and with that, like you said, is I get a new game and all of a sudden I'm like, I haven't played this other game for a while. And I start to wonder, do I even want to play this game? And some of them are almost for like nostalgic purposes. I have a hard time getting rid of I'm like, 
but this was my first like this is one of my first games that got me into it is should i get rid of it even though i never play it do i just hang it up on the wall like a, a piece of art um but that being said I, I have found that my preferences change and i've started viewing it more even if, if i buy a game i play it four or five times like it was fun but it's not one i want to keep playing i'll sell it for ten dollars cheaper than i bought it and to me i'm like i've essentially paid ten dollars to rent this game and get a few really good experiences and then i pass it on to someone else that will enjoy it and appreciate it rather than filling up my shelf and and feeling this sense of shame that I'm not getting all of my games played. Be like, no, like I, I played this game how I wanted to. I feel satisfied. Let's move on to the next game. Um, and, and for me, that's been a good thing to realize. Like, I'm not giving up on a game. I'm not saying it's a bad game. I'm just like, no, like I got my fill and I feel okay about that. I'm ready to move on to something else. Totally. The rental mentality has really helped me as well, especially when I get so pumped about a new game and I'm just like, oh, I really got to try this at least, you know, and it's like right up my wheelhouse and I, um, you know, it's, it's going on Kickstarter. And if it's a publisher that doesn't go direct to retail after then, yeah, then, then there is that, that FOMO that creeps in. Um, <laughs> but I think it oh. helps when I look at all the, the games I've pre-ordered and stuff to know like okay i'm a lot of these games i'm i'm churning out word as well and and like you say you're paying ten dollars to rent it and it doesn't feel as bad on the wallet or the heart <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's that's the tough thing about kickstarter is that you'll order a game and sometimes you don't get it for a year sometimes two years i've had games that take two years to arrive by the time it arrives like kind of like ah what, what was i so excited about this game for and <laughs> And sometimes, like I talked about, when you get like when you go all in on a game and you get like you know two three boxes worth of stuff, it's almost overwhelming. Like you're just like, oh my goodness, like what am I going to do with all this? And um, one of the biggest reasons why I've at times decided to start cutting down on my collection is just because I don't have space. Like board games, it's not like a DVD collection where you can have three hundred DVDs and put them in a little case and you know have them there. I mean, who has DVDs anymore? But but like. Uh, <laughs> We understand but, what you mean. <laughs> but like a 300 board games takes up a room. It's an entire room of your house. Um, and if you're buying games like uh, Kingdom Death Monster or Gloomhaven, you know, that's like, that's like those, those games are the size of like four or five board games. Um, and so I'll see these people who post pictures of their collections and, um, and they, don't, they don't have room for all their games. They're just they're finding nooks and crannies all around their house to stuff them in and Got um, little towers yeah yeah and i just uh i've kind of reached the point where i, ha I i'm fortunate enough to have a room in my house that is my game room and if i start noticing that my shelf space is shrinking then i start selling games and sometimes yeah you have to you have to just kind of reach that mentality where you're like you know what like i get what i can for this game and um let someone else enjoy it and sometimes you get lucky and it's a game that's out of print because maybe shut up sit down was talking about it recently and you're like now you're selling it for two or three times what it's worth because uh, no one else, no one else has a copy, but everybody else wants it. That, that can happen sometimes. It's kind of nice, but um, typically, um, yeah, my, my biggest concern is space. And then, and, and I'll have games that has sat on my shelf for gosh, 18 months, two years, even, and I haven't played it. And, and I'm just like, you know, maybe it's just time to let this one go and just give, give up on it. Yeah. That's, I think, you know, just finding tricks and ways to, I guess, guilt trip yourself in some ways into, uh, you know, culling down your collection can really help for you with space. Um, and for me, it's, yeah, it's getting to be space as well. <laughs> but um, I, I wrote a blog post uh, several months ago about phonio or fear of neglecting your own. 
and, and kind of using that to combat FOMO. And uh, what helps me is again, board game geek. I don't know. In some ways it's a double-edged sword because it makes me buy more games as well. But uh, I log games that I own and when I play them and when I see like, oh, this game I got months ago, I haven't played it in months and I've only played it two times. Um, so then I feel, you know, kind of this personal pressure that I put on myself to either get it played again and, you know, make it part of the regular rotation or maybe it's a game that I'm not really you know, motivated to play or like if I try to push myself to do it, I'm reluctant. And then I realize, okay, this really isn't a game that belongs in my collection. And so I can, you know, sell or trade it for a game that I am more excited to play and kind of keep the collection limited, but uh, active. And so that's kind of helped me as well. I thought that um, as your partner in crime here on the Bitewing Games, I feel a little bit like self-advertising, but I really thought that that blog post for me, I was like, oh yeah, like I think when you think about it in this game, in this way of like, hey, look at all these opportunities, these new games. But I almost think of it like my my children, and I know that's dramatic, and I'm not a crazy board gamer like that. But but this idea of like, hey, like you have these board games, and like rather than like, oh, I need to buy this new one, like no, like you have your own board games that like you love, and like give attention to the games that you love, and um, and don't neglect them. So I thought that was a a real interesting thing. Yeah. The other thing that I. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it's kind of weird just like documenting your board game collection, kind of like a library and curating it. It, it does kind of generate like those reminders of, of like, oh, I love this game. Like Jaipur is a game that like, I don't think like tonight is the night, you know, Saturday night we're doing Jaipur, you know, <laughs> you, you, when you're planning out a game days or weeks in advance, it's like the big event game, right? But, um, and so you forget about little games like that. But then when you see it again, or when you're, looking at it and you're like, oh, I haven't played this in forever, whether it's on a list or on your shelf. And it's like, yeah, we do need to play this again because I love this one and I don't want this to leave my collection. But anyways, go ahead. Yeah, one thing I was thinking with as we talk about the collections and we talk about gaining games and I'm sure some people will be like, oh, if I was a dentist and I had unlimited money, I wish I was in that spot. I wish as a dentist it was that way. Um, I think everyone's in that spot where they want a little more money to buy a bigger collection, things like that. But aside from space being a limiting factor, I do think time to play the games, but also the money to buy the games is a big limiting factor for everyone. Um, and I just think there's other resources. One thing I even just thought of, I was like, oh yeah, my, my board game store here in town, you can go there and you can just play board games. They have a whole wall of games that you can either rent for like seven bucks for a week, or you can just sit down and play them in the store. So I think there's a lot of options like that. If you're like, I'm just not in a place financially where I can't buy all these games. I can't test all these different games lots of game stores lots of friends like you can find communities no matter where you are and just say hey i'd love to try a game does anyone have this game i could borrow or know of a place that you can like rent or try games um, lots of great resources there if space isn't your only limit but also time or also money yeah especially the digital medium um has been helped out a bit i think by by all the covid stuff but you know yep. tabletop simulator and tabletopia a lot of people have have uh kind of moved over there temporarily i think all of us prefer to play games in real life but that's a good way to try out games at least um yeah. try before you buy approach so nice well yeah i think um those are all some great tricks for find, finding games that you love growing your collection but also culling your collection um but a collection is only as good as the opportunities you have to uh, get it to the table uh, and at least in an ideal world that's what we all want to do with our, our games right and so uh i guess in normal times and and 
you know, this past year as well. How, how have you guys, you know, found hobbyist gamers or people who share your similar tastes in games so that you can actually play the games that you love on your shelf and get them to the table? I think it is a, it's been a little bit different for everyone with COVID. And in some ways I'm tired of hearing like, oh, once COVID's over and before COVID, but um, I have the, the luxury of I have a, a wife who really enjoys playing board games with me. And I have a brother right now that's living with me and um, he enjoys board games. So we can usually get a really good three-player game going quite often with the people that I'm living with. But I know not everyone has that. Not everyone's spouse or partner, or, or maybe they live alone and they don't love to do that. There's always options of great solo games. Um, but I, I do think there's a lot of good ways to find people that are interested. Again, lots of Facebook, Reddit, lots of different places that you can find communities of people locally that enjoy board games. And maybe they already have a local meetup or maybe you can create a local meetup. I think for me, that's one way I found is just through social media. Um, you can find people to play with. Yeah, so you mentioned uh, there's an app called Meetup and you can, I guess, access it on the computer. I have it on my phone, but I found, I think it's more commonly used in more populated areas, but the Meetup app has typically some some good board game groups that meet monthly or bi-monthly or weekly. And so that's a good way to find people. Um, you know, I, I really got into the board game hobby when we lived in Columbus. And so we really didn't know a whole lot of people. I didn't grow up there. I just went there for dental school and still found tons of people to game with. And even after that, moving up to Akron, that area, um, I would cast a wide net on Facebook pages like the, uh, the Columbus, Ohio board game group, I forget what it's called, and uh, the Greater Akron board game group on Facebook. And then I'd say, hey guys, here are some of my absolute favorite games. And these are ones that I love to play on a regular basis. If anyone is interested, um, I'd love to get together and have game nights. And that was a great way to find the exact people who love the games that I like. You know, I threw down like PAX Premier as an example and Roots and um, Brass Birmingham and other examples, some of my top games. And I found the exact people where we love to play all, all the same games. And so it's very easy for us to, to get a regular game night going that way. Um, but what about you, Jacob, what has worked for you? Yeah. So I've, uh, since I graduated from dental school, I've lived in, um, one, two, in like five different places and, um, everywhere I've gone, I've started the game group and, you know, it's kind of nice being the host, but it's also kind of like, you're kind of expected to be the one that typically buys the games <laughs> or has the games, yeah, um, true. which can be, you know, which, you know, I'm fortunate that I'm, you know, in a position where I can, you know, afford to buy games when, you know, when I want to, not that I have like unlimited money, but, um, not one of those dentists, but, uh, <laughs> um, anyways, uh, I've gone through church and through social media, um, both. And a lot of times what you'll, what I found at least is that the people who come will often help you branch out through their friends and family. Um, and the nice thing about that is that it can be, it can be really hard for someone to just come over to some stranger's house for a board game night. Um, I've seen it happen in my own groups. Um, but what we're, we're like, someone comes who has literally no ties to anybody except through like through meeting on social media, but it's, and, and those, those, um, connections tend to be a little more tenuous. Whereas, um, people who come because like their brother-in-law comes or because their cousin or their work buddy, those tend to be more lasting 
people. And, and one of the things that like you always want, at least that I always want in a game group is people who are consistent. Like it's tough to be in a game group where you're wondering, Oh man, I don't know how many people we're going to have uh, this week. You know, sometimes it's two, sometimes it's eight and it's hard to even like predict or have a game ready to play when you have no idea on a week to week basis, how many people you're going to have. And so um, it's definitely nice to have like a, we know exactly how many people will be here and you can kind of have, it, it helps, it helps you get like legacy games played where if you want to be playing stuff like pandemic legacy, King's dilemma, Gloomhaven, you can have that. Um, you can have that consistency. Um, but the nice thing about having a more fluid group is that you can play a whole different type, you know, a whole range of games. Like we've done and, and I have, I currently run two groups and on my Tuesday night group, we can sometimes have eight, nine, 10 people. And so we're playing games like Avalon, uh, escape the aliens from outer space, um, Tortuga, um, all, all kinds of party games that are a little more, that have a little more strategy and that, um, uh, captain sonar. So, um, it does help you get a little more variety in what you do every, every week. Yeah, absolutely. I, I try to keep mental tabs on the, the people that like to game regularly as far as what days they're available and then, you know, pick games that, that are in their wheelhouse and, um, and also like, be like, okay, what, what second game would you guys want to play this night? We have this one planned and, and kind of work from there and, and, uh, usually work by a week to week basis of like, okay, what do you guys want to play this Wednesday? And, uh, we'll at least play this one if we get enough people and, and then whatever else you guys are in the mood for. And that, that seems to work really well as far as getting a regular you know, hobbyist gaming group going. Um, it also just helps to go where the gamers congregate, whether that's the meetup locations or just a, a board game store. And if you, if you go into a brick and mortar store and ask them like, okay, do you guys have regular, like, you know, non magic, the gathering that seems to be like their, their go-to, which, which is cool, but it's not really my thing. And I'm looking to play just, you know, your regular designer board game. And, uh, uh, they usually, and hopefully this will pick up more, will will have like certain nights where it's just kind of play anything or, or when they say like a lot of people tend to come in, you can meet people that way just by sitting down with a, with a random table and uh, trying out a new game and making friends that way. So, um, but something that's maybe even harder to do is, you know, you mentioned like uh, finding people at church or in the workplace or is maybe relatives or friends who aren't necessarily hobby gamers, um, but they do enjoy, you know, the occasional Catan or card game or, or tickets ride or things like that. Um, so how have you guys, I guess, helped the hobby to grow or what do you find works as far as getting people more into board gamings and board gaming, if they're interested in, and kind of introducing them to the, the greater world of, of all the games out there. Well, I mean, sometimes it's just kind of leading people by the hand, starting with simple games like those ones that you mentioned. And then, um, hey, if you like this, let's try this. this is like that with a spin on it. Um, or uh, this is, you know, um, helping people kind of um, find things that are um, games that are based around intellectual properties that they're interested in. Some people do, you know, if, if you've got like, hey, you like Batman? Well, guess what? There's this really really complicated Batman game that I can, <laughs> I can sit down with you for an hour and teach you. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. I have found like, 
I'll ask people like, Hey, do you like playing board games? It'll just be somebody that I've, I've never met before until, you know, just seeing them at church or they've moved into the area or, uh, you know, making friends with somebody at work and being like, what kind of games do you like? Do you play any card games or board games? And whatever they mention, I have, I'm lucky enough at this point to have a similar weight game in my collection or one that, that I, I realized like, Oh, if you like that kind of game, like you mentioned, then this one is right up your alley. And then you can kind of test the waters from there. I think maybe all, all of us at one point or another have been burned by uh, <laughs> uh, throwing somebody into the deep end who wasn't quite ready for it. I mean, in your case, it worked out with Descent. But, um, you know, if I try to throw a really heavy strategy game at somebody who's used to, you know, just a very simple, you know, straightforward game with, with a quick rules teach and, and they get exhausted when I'm still explaining the game 20 minutes <laughs> into the uh, game night, then uh, it, it kind of helps to have a good range of games for every type of gamer and to understand based on people's personalities and, and preferences, you know, what they might enjoy so you don't, I guess, scare them off. Yeah, I agree with lots of that. And I just think, I think just listening to people, <clears throat> I feel like I'm trying to like convert people to the, the world of board games in some <laughs> ways. But um, but yeah, when, when I talk to people and I just had someone the other day, they were telling me they're like, oh, I love board games. And we played, I was like, what kind of games? Like we played Pit on New Year's Eve for six hours. <laughs> and <laughs> they literally, like, this wasn't a joke. This was like six hours. Like we almost missed the ball drop. And I'm like, I think I would go crazy playing Pit for six hours. And I love games. <laughs> not always games like that for six hours but anyway just listening to them and, and after she said that i asked a few games if she tried one or two games and um and actually pitched her on our game that's coming out social grooming later this year i said oh hey you should try out this game when we create it she said oh that sounds awesome but uh, i think just listening to the games they like and like nick said is just um uh paying attention to what what they like and knowing a few other games and there's a million different youtube videos and blog posts about introductory games gateway games to get people into it so lots of resources there yeah did we we came up with one or maybe mm -hmm. yeah we have we have a, a list of games that are great for families and like introductory gateway games that's right our top 10 family games we did a podcast on that they, they all start to blur together after weeks and weeks of uh, making these but yeah yeah you can check that out um we we definitely picked our favorite 10 family games that we've put through the ringer over time so um yeah stuff like that is definitely helpful for and you know the nice thing about family games is even if somebody is ready for the hardcore games if you find a good family game it's it's hard to hate you know something simple when it's so engaging and fun so Yep, that's kind of what I was thinking. That is, there, there are some great games that are, hey, this is a legacy game. It's going to take a few weeks to play or, hey, let's sit down for a, a two, three-hour game. Um, but I still love playing lots of these 30, 40-minute games, and I think there's a ton of fun, lots of good strategy that you can do quickly. You can get people of varying skill or interest levels involved, and, and I think that's a lot of fun is being able to bridge that gap between people who, who are really into games and people who aren't and find a good mediocre like sorry not mediocre a good medium weight game that everyone can play very cool do you guys have any uh recent examples or or i guess any that come to mind where where you got somebody who was maybe a casual gamer deep into it and and kind of how they uh their journey into the board gaming hobby 
my uh, uh, since I live near my sister and my brother-in-law, we played games every Sunday night. And, um, you know, most of the games that they are used to are simple games or like party games, like headbands and, um, you know, pie in the face, stuff like that, you know, just silly games. And so um, I tried, you know, Hey, let's do Sunday night games every night after dinner. And so we started doing this and I, the first game I brought was like a little too, a little too advanced for them. And as I was explaining, I was like, I don't think this is going to work, you know? And so like <laughs> we kind of backed up and we went to things like um, reef or Sagrada um azul and now we're playing the crew which is a a trick-taking game for four players and that's been pretty fun um and uh you know i mean we're not down into like um terra mystica or anything like that right now but (laughs) um but like it's getting them used to strategy that they weren't used to before and and you know we kind of mix it up with cooperative and competitive games and stuff like that and, and make it more fun for everybody and, um, you know, now that we've been doing that, you can kind of see that how they're getting better at, you know, identifying strategies that without having them pointed out and stuff like that. Totally. Yeah. There's one thing that, uh, you have to remind yourself is that you can't really force anybody in, into becoming a hobbyist gamer. You can't force a type of game onto somebody if it's not their jam and, uh, you can't force a group to, to play a board game on a particular gathering, um, but it, it doesn't hurt to be prepared and have, to have something available for people and, and have it offered up as an option. But, um, yeah, it's been, it's been fun to see, you know, we've in, in Columbus, we made lots of friends in our neighborhood. Lots of people were going to, uh, professional school or graduate school, those kinds of things. And so there were lots of couples in the same situation as us. And so we got a ton of people over to our house or we went to their house before we had kids and into, into gaming. And um, we would introduce them to, to stuff like uh, horrified, kind of a pandemic like game, or you mentioned it um, Tortuga from uh, facade games. And these are simple games to teach. And then we would find out later that. Um, this guy, Nate's wife bought him those games for his birthday or for Christmas. Cause he liked them so much. And so it's always, it's always cool to hear, you know, and those aren't necessarily like my all time top 10 games kind of things, but I always love to, to break them out for people. And, and it's cool to hear like when we, when we do figure out a game that fits somebody's personality well and, and can share that with them, how they, they draw joy from it. And then they start playing it with their friends and family and, it's cool to see that domino effect. I think just that experience, like, cause I, I love board games. I love the experience. I, I love the mental challenge of board games and the interaction you have with players. But honestly, like, I taught um, some of my neighbors, the game QE a few months, this is probably a year ago now. Um, and they, and like, as soon as we were done playing the game, they said, where do we, like, can you buy that on Amazon? Like we want that for Christmas. <laughs> and, and like, honestly, like that was one of my most fun board gaming experiences I can think of for a while I loved the game and like the experience was good but to see like the excitement and light in their eyes I'm like this is so fun and like that's better than any mental challenge that I get in a board game just that experience of seeing them light up and their excitement so so I think that's something to really take into account too is you're not just hey I just want to play a board game that I love but like play a board game that people are going to love and that they'll they'll feel excitement about because that's what it's all about I think yeah I've found that like 
a lot of times my favorite games are not the ones that I play the most often. It's the most uh, fun games, you know, that, um, you know, maybe they're not brain burners, but I'm getting to the table far more often than I get Twilight Struggle or Descent uh, to the table. Games, you know, that you, maybe every game isn't the most memorable experience, but um, they're kind of the tried and true, you know, that every, almost anyone who plays it's going to have a good time and they're going to be able to have an enjoyable and competitive experience versus they're going to be staring at the board wondering like what on earth, like, you know, what's going on. Yeah. Um, Cause my dad, my dad raised me with um, risk and monopoly and clue and uh, pit. And um, in fact, I think the most, the most wacky game that we had growing up was Omega virus. And so we played very traditional games and my dad would always win. And um, now that we, now that I've become a board, a hobbyist board gamer, when my dad comes to town to visit and he'll join me for board game night by the end of the game, he still looks at me. He's like, I, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just a whole different, it's just a whole different kind of mentality to have with your playing a game with any like, um, you know, medium or heavy weights, you know, it's, it's uh, if people aren't used to playing that and, and it's almost kind of like a knack that you get where you learn how to pick up rules easier because you can kind of link it to the, Oh, okay. Yeah. I played a game like with that kind of mechanic, or I played a game with that kind of a mechanic and you start to be able to combine those types of things and, and understand um, rules being explained to you pretty quickly. Um, but if you're not that type of board gamer, um, it, it does take time for your brain to learn how to think that way. Yeah. The, the other hard thing is people learn in different ways. Some are very visual or example oriented learners. Others just want the, the procedure, you know, step-by-step explanation. And I imagine all of us, when we explain games, we explain it in the same way to everybody. And so you'll definitely get some people who, uh, you know, they, they would have benefited more from, from me explaining it in a different way. And so, yeah, there's definitely some patience involved with, with the whole process and, uh, ultimately, like you guys have shared, the, the goal is for everybody to have an enjoyable time and hopefully want to, to have even more board game nights. And uh, I think it's important to keep in mind that you are not the only one with a collection that you're dying to play, but that everybody has their own tastes and preferences. And if you keep tabs on those things and, and make sure that, that you're getting games to the table, that they really hit the sweet spot for them as well that uh you know there's ultimately some a little bit of give and take from from one session to another that everybody will be you know get more out of it in the end so um you know we've talked a lot about playing board games and buying board games and um getting rid of games and finding gamers to game with but we haven't talked very much about games themselves and i actually wanted to see if you guys if you don't have anything else to share about that particular topic what games you've been uh, enjoying recently um, or, or some that you're excited about um, coming up soon. So I'm kind of springing this on you. So I'll, I'll share one that I played recently. Um, it's the search for planet X. And I still don't have a copy of this, but I was able to, to learn it with my gaming group who one of them does own a copy and it was freaking sweet. I think you would really like this one, Kyle, for sure. Um, Cause you're a big fan of cryptid. And this is right in the same wheelhouse. It's very easy to teach and and to play. And it's not going to convert anybody who doesn't like those the thinky puzzly deduction games. But it's super cool how it uses the app. Um, everybody can whip out their phone and 
there's no chance of somebody derailing the whole game if they accidentally give the wrong answer because they, all the answers come from the app themselves. But then you're using the central board that spins around and uh, you're, you're putting theories out. Like, you know, for those of you who played Cryptid or Clue, if you think like, oh, I think the, uh, the candlestick was the weapon of choice in Clue or in Cryptid, you're like, oh, I think, you know, it's definitely in the forest. Well, usually you keep that information to yourself until the end, but in the search for Planet X, you actually publish those as theories, which remain secret for multiple more rounds. Um, and people know you've put a theory on that section and you have a hunch of, of what is in there. And if you're correct, when it is revealed, then you get points. And if you're wrong, then you get penalized. And so there's this incentive to kind of jump the gun uh, sometimes when you're deducing like, okay, what is in this sector? Is it a gas cloud or is it nothing? Um, I boiled it down to these two options. I don't know for sure, but I'm going to guess it's a gas cloud because I want to get those extra points to win the game. And so I was, I was super impressed with that for anyone who enjoys deduction games. I think this is probably one of the best out there, um, just based on my one play of it. And so I'm, uh, hungry to get my own copy. Speaking of growing a collection, because I, I think my wife will really enjoy Cami, and I think we'll get some more good plays out of it. Yeah, I've heard someone mention it, but I would I would love to try that one. Do you think it's better than Cryptid? I think I think it has more replayability to it than Cryptid. I think it has less. Um, it's less prone to to like I said, mistakes or being derailed. Um, they're both different enough that I I wouldn't necessarily immediately be like, okay, search for Planet X is in, and Cryptid's out. See you later. Um, but yeah, I think I think they do scratch a similar itch, and and I think Search for Planet X probably does it better because it, it also has um, an advanced side to the board, and it has different um, skill levels that you can play at according to your individual level. So with Cryptid, it's like you can either be like, um, we're gonna play the regular way, or we're gonna play the way that melts everybody's brains, and it's it's all or nothing for everyone. With Search for Planet X, you can start out with less clues than your neighbor because you've played the games more times than them. And, uh, and so it kind of balances it out that way. And I obviously haven't, you know, I've only played the game one time. It was on the beginner mode, but, um, it seems like there's a lot of depth there and, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just fun the way the, there's this wheel that spins around on the board and it, you're limited to, to guessing in those particular sectors. And then the way that, you know, most deduction games are like at the very end, you make your guess and then one person wins and everybody else loses. But in the search for planet X, you can be the one who discovers planet X which is the ultimate goal and get the most points for that. But you might still lose the game because other people were hot on the tails of where planet X was, but they were also putting out better theories than you and more theories um, guessing where, what each other sector had, and they can end up winning just by having more points by deducing more things than you essentially. And so there's kind of an interesting difference there as well. I'll have to check it out. Sounds interesting. I heard of, I've heard of that, but I just figured, Oh, I got cryptid and that's, it's good enough. You know, I like cryptid. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, how many deduction games do you need? But, um, <laughs> but I think this one isn't too expensive and, and it, it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, I'm one that recommend for those interested. I think my wife would say zero is how many deduction games <laughs> we need. So, it's harder for me to get those to the table because oh, they're not her favorite. Yeah, they're kind of polarizing as a genre, but lots of fun with the right group. Yeah. What about you guys? What have you been excited to play soon or, or enjoying recently? Anything? I just got my, um, speaking of Kickstarter massive sets, I just got my uh, super or my Street Fighter miniature game in. And oh nice. my goodness, like it is the most beautiful <laughs> game. Like 
I went, I, I, I initially backed just as like a, um, like a base pledge with one expansion, but then like the longer the campaign went on, I got kind of sucked <laughs> into buying the rest of them. And these miniatures are so beautiful. And that was honestly what kept me like, I was like, Oh, I got to get the rest of these. Like I may as well just get everything. Cause they are, have you guys seen them? Like they're in. Uh, I'm looking at it right now online. This is, this is pretty intense. Actually, I haven't these seen it, really but good. my, uh, I was so, barely born in the eighties and the eighties kid that I am is like, I would go play some street fighter right now. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I, you have you played it yet, or have you read the rules at least? I have gone through. I've gone through some of the rules. I haven't. Mm. Played, I've only had it for about a week, mm-hmm. and I've I went through and I sleeved the entire like all eleven hundred cards, and I organized it and set up all the three D art pieces. But Did um, you say eleven hundred? Yes. 1100 oh my cards. gosh! Yeah. This game yeah. is massive. So That's have you guys cool. ever have you guys ever played Star Wars Epic Duels? That's um, the old version of Unmatched, right? Um, I don't know. I've never played a match, but it's like basically you have characters and you move them and you have a, a deck of card dedicated to each character. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. That's yeah. You that's, fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. restoration games actually brought that back from the dead, I believe okay. um, as unmatched. And so, yeah. And uh, now they have it pitted. Like you can play Bruce Lee against um, Sherlock Holmes okay. and the Jurassic Park Raptors against something else. Yeah, it's really cool. So is it? It's kind of similar to that then. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see how it goes. You know, I've I'm excited to give it a try. They're supposed to, you know, hopefully if it does well enough, they'll release some Mortal Kombat as well with similar quality miniatures and stuff. But I'm not sure I'm ready to dive in for another <clears throat> four hundred dollars. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, but I, you know, I've got to get a lot of play out of this one before I'm ready to throw down more money for more. So I don't have anywhere to put, I have all these miniatures in like this display case, um, with their, their deck of cards underneath them. That's the only place I could find to fit everything. Holy so these, these come fully colorized and everything. Oh yeah. They're so, yeah. They're just incredible. Yeah. These yeah. look really good. I've never heard of this board game just until you mentioned it now. And I'm familiar with street fighter. I've played the game before, but this is, this is next level stuff. And yeah. so very cool. If you're a fan of Street Fighter or Unmatched, then this looks like it's going to be right up your alley for sure. Yeah. So that, and I've got um, uh, Anachrony that I'm, I've, I've got that. And I'm, I'm trying to learn how to play that so I can teach that to my group. Yeah, Anachrony, that is, is that a worker placement game? Yes. Yeah, um, engine building, resource management. I think it's kind of a... Is that the time traveling one? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so I've heard this can be compared a little bit to Viticulture. Have you played that before? I have not, no. Okay. Um, yeah, I hear you can like send or collect resources from the future and have to pay them later. Or, yep. or how does that work? Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, because Kyle's kind of been toying with a, some time travel-like design ideas. Yeah, I've huh? really wanted to come up with a time travel game. And I've had some ideas, but just nothing that's quite been it yet but that's a really interesting idea i like that yeah i haven't tried anachrony before it's a it's a 4.0 out of 5 complexity on on board game geek so that would put it in like the the medium heavy weights and i usually you know i'm i'm hesitant in that area because that's like a lot of rules investment and you gotta love the game if you're putting that much time into learning it and, and trying to play it I, at least for me personally but it looks really cool i've heard a lot of good things about it you know, speaking of time travel, it amazes me. I'm kind of getting off subject here a little bit, but I'm always amazed that there's never been a great Harry Potter game that's come out ever. Like, as popular as that IP is, like, how has there never been 
you know, like the definitive, like you've got War of the Ring, you've got Star Wars Rebellion, you've got mm. um, you've got Batman games right now coming out every other month. There are and a ton of Batman games. <laughs> how is it that no one's made a great Harry Potter game yet? Like there's so much to do. And, I'm, and I, and I speak, say that full well knowing that Hogwarts battle exists and it is the most watered down, poorly designed uh, car, deck, deck building game that is out Ooh, there. Shots fired. I, I, <laughs> I haven't played it before. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't played it either. I was going to say there's one I'd heard of and that was it, but I haven't heard. My wife and it was just like it was fun but like it was nothing that we ever want to do again because it's yeah. just not a well-designed game yeah i imagine some kind of like uh almost like a gloomhaven like game yeah that would be would amazing work well where you kind of start out as a, a first year student mm-hmm. and learn new spells as you go and yeah i, I I wonder why that hasn't been made. They've had plenty of somebody's had plenty of years to design that. It would it'd definitely be more more work than I'd want to take on as a as a designer. But that would be a cool game to to see come to life. I think part of it's just like the initial like people are probably afraid of like um, you know in order to do that you have to have the rights you know which is a huge so you, you only have a couple companies you can go to right now who have licensing rights to Harry Potter games and so to design something specifically for an IP. And then have that barrier being in your path. It's just not, it's not very feasible. I think yeah. Yeah, you have to have that perfect marriage of someone who already works at a company, you know, like Rob Davio or somebody who like just as excels at that type of a game. And, you know, uh, I think it's, it'll have to be the right person at the right place at the right time. Totally. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure now that you've put that out into the universe though, <laughs> you know, somebody it's going to enter happen. somebody's brain and, and it'll happen. Cause it's, <laughs> that is definitely a, you know, gold mine waiting to be, uncovered <laughs> how about you kyle what have you been getting into recently or, or thinking i feel a little bit i was just looking at my uh, app that i have that i keep track of board games i've played and i honestly haven't been playing as much a handful of different reasons some of it's i've been doing a lot of i just got a a, a kickstarter preview game um that i'm looking at oros and i'm really excited for that one coming out and that one's actually been a lot of fun to play different player counts and against different automas and things like that so that one is one that I've enjoyed playing. I'm excited for it to come out on Kickstarter. But yeah, Oris looks cool. And you've mentioned this to me before. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that mm-hmm. and kind of what excites you about it? Yeah, so I'll be doing a full um, kind of a preview on on my YouTube channel here coming up before too long. Um, but it's just a really fascinating game. You're just creating, essentially you're creating mountains. You can move the the map or the sorry the board is a map and you're just moving land tiles around and you have actions you can take on your turn to either shift entire rows of land tiles or you can collide lands together and and form larger pieces of land and mountains and on these mountains you can build sacred sites which awards you points that's kind of what the game's about is is getting to a mountain and creating a mountain and um kind of the timing of some things there but I think it's to me it's a really fun game as far as like you almost just feel powerful as you're like shifting land around and like smashing land together creating bigger bigger pieces of land and creating volcanoes that can spew out more land other places so so i i think it's a pretty immersive fun thing that way um yeah this i think this is the design that uh when i was trying to put some of my early designs onto board game contests and stuff this one just kept plaguing all of them because it was winning like every (laughs) design award and it was like haven't you won all the awards already? Like, is this thing, <laughs> when is this thing going to get published? You're just, you're just 
making us all Seriously. look bad. I think he's planning on this summer, July, I believe. But I've, I've told him that. I said, I'm so glad to go into Kickstarter with this so that someone else can have a chance to actually win a competition. But he's a, a phenomenal guy, like super, super nice guy. I really have enjoyed chatting with him and uh, talked to him a few times. And anyway, so I've been playing that game. Some of our own games here that we're designing in-house at Bitewing Games, been playtesting those a handful of times and, and doing that. And, and we've really been enjoying those games. Um, my my wife and brother are like, oh, those games are really cool. And I really like, especially one of the games that we're coming out with. Um, so, so, Soda Smugglers, right? Soda Smugglers is, is the one that they've, they're like, oh, that's a really fun game. I'm excited yes. to get that in my hands. So um, so those have been some of the games. And then just some some basic, more of those medium or light games ethnos and quacks of quidlinburg my family just got and has started to learn so so just a, a handful of an array of games that we've been playing nice yeah i'm looking at oros right now it's spelled o-r-o-s for those who might be interested the art style is really cool um sounds like a really solid design since it's it's been uh, tested in the in the uh, contest and and climbed up the rankings of all a bunch of those and is finally getting polished enough that it's ready to be released so for those of you guys interested keep an eye on kyle's youtube channel he does a great job with the videos really high production quality and he keeps them succinct um i, I do enjoy the long in-depth videos that a lot of content creators put out but sometimes it's nice to just sit down for a six minute review and get everything you need to out of a game and uh, kyle does a really good job with keeping things succinct but also really i guess in- engaging to watch so when when do you plan to put out that preview video um, I have to take the pictures and then edit it. So it's probably going to be another three, four weeks from right now. And we're filming, which is first part of April. So, cool. so probably, probably may it'll come out. Cool. Well, let's just end with one more question for each of us. And that is what is the most recent game that you have purchased or backed on Kickstarter or pre-ordered, whatever you want to call it. Um, might take you a second to, to think um i have an embarrassing number of games on pre-order right now but um yeah I, i've looked through all of them and just been like man i'm so pumped for all these games still so that's a good <laughs> sign um but for me the most recent one i backed was well i think it was on the same day actually it was one is the board game tables kickstarter bundle these games look freaking awesome bear raid is one of them factory funner and ghosts of christmas is the bundle and they don't really have anything in common, but Chad's just putting them out. Uh, I think his name's Chad. Um, yeah. He runs board game tables. He's just putting them out together because um, that's his style. And, and uh, one of them is designed by um, the designer of Pipeline, Ryan Courtney. And it just looks like a really fun stocks game. It kind of gives me a bit of a The Estates vibe, honestly. If you're, if you're a fan of The Estates, it's a very mean auctioning game, but kind of lighthearted at the same time. That's what Bear Raid looks like. The other two look really cool as well. And at the same on the same day, I backed John Company uh, second edition because Cole Worley is one of my personal favorite designers. He does very deep games that require repeat plays to really get the most out of his games. Um, but Root and Pax Pamir are two of my absolute favorite games. So I'm pumped about John Company and it's a negotiation and manipulation game. And that's right in my wheelhouse. I love those kind of games. So I'm super pumped about that. All look fantastic. That is my uh, most recent, I guess I cheated. I put four games out there, but it was on the same day. So <laughs> what about you guys? I recently backed, I think the most recent one was Cryptid Cafe. 
Um, and inter interestingly enough, I just got off the phone with the designer of that game 10 minutes before we started this podcast. I had chatted with him for a while about some distribution and, and pricing structure stuff um, as, as we're looking at doing our own Kickstarter here. And um, extremely nice guy, like super, super helpful and friendly. And, and I think that game looks just like a lot of fun. You're just your creatures, your cryptids there in a cafe and you're trying to serve your customers. And for me, that was particularly interesting. My first game I designed was not that it published or anything, but, but one that I designed was called order up where your servers at a restaurant trying to provide food to people. And, and that's essentially what the game is. And he kind of did what I dreamed of doing. And so I, that was an instant back for me. And um, like I said, super nice guy, super awesome, well-run campaign and very, very pretty game. I'm excited to get that. And however many months when it comes yeah that's funny my very first game that i designed uh involved sasquatch and he was like the genesis of the idea so <laughs> the fact that our first two designs are kind of what he combined together at least the yeah. themes um it's it's a very pretty cool looking game so mm -hmm. i'm excited to hear your thoughts on it when you do acquire a copy and yeah um see where that goes how about you jacob uh so my the one that i'm most excited about is actually the shut up and sit down game called um don't uh what's it called don't don't get got don't get got yeah oh. i didn't know that was is that shut up and sit down's game yeah i yeah, didn't well, know they're, it was. they're heavily involved in it to say they, okay. they're putting out their own version of it where they yeah. came up with all of the uh the tasks or the challenges that you have yeah. to do oh, cool. so they, they, they teamed up with the designer publisher um to put this out i backed it too so tell us why you're excited about this because it's coming out soon right yeah yeah i think it's it seems like kind of one of those low-key games you know i think you can, it seems like you kind of play it when you're in like with a group and you kind of try to i mean it's just something to do while you're doing other things as from what i gather um and since i'm pretty involved with a lot of different types of groups i think it might be kind of fun to introduce it to different team to do at work or you know with youth groups or even as part of like a game while we're playing other games you know um i'm, I'm kind of excited to see how we can incorporate that yeah this um, is a super cool party game this the shut up and sit down version doesn't even exist on board game geek oddly enough hopefully soon they'll add it um you can find it on their kickstarter page and maybe they have like a, a late pledge if you're interested but yeah. um yeah it's cool because you you hand out uh these task wallets to each player and they have i think three tasks uh unique tasks that everybody has to complete they keep them secret and basically you're just trying to trick somebody into doing something ridiculous like um <laughs> you know compliment your hair is an example they give or hiding hiding a card in a jar and getting another player to open it for you, like the actual card that you were given in the game or making up a word and getting a player to ask what it means, just like <laughs> really random stuff like that. And it's a right. meta game. You can play it, like you say, while you're playing your own game. I'm hoping to introduce this to my co-residents before our program's through. Hopefully we get it in time because it sounds right up there, Ali. Yeah. So that's one of them. Um, Radlands by Roxley Games. Um, Ooh, I backed this too. All right. Yeah, share, so share some more one thing I found with Roxley is that like, they just, everything they put out is awesome. Like they did brass Birmingham and brass Lancashire, the Lancashire, um, steampunk fusion rally just arrived at my house. And so right now they're one of those companies. It's like anything they put out, I'm probably going to back it unless it seems like there's no way I'm going to play this. Cause they're, they, they do a great price point and they're just a great company. And then, um, I've always wanted to play Castles of Mad King Ludwig, so I went ahead and jumped in on the collector's edition. Ooh, nice. I didn't go for the colossal pledge, but, um, <laughs> I did go for the the base and then uh, Stellaris Infinite Legacy. I'm currently backing it, but I nice. may pull out. I'm not I'm not 100% sold on it, and it's a hefty price point. 
Mm-hmm. And so I've got like three more days to decide if I'm going to stay on the pledge or not. Not sure yet. Still looking into it. Yeah. I only glanced at Stellaris, but it, it looks, it kind of reminded me of Eclipse second down for the galaxy, which is one that I've been, I've been, uh, you know, shouting from the rooftops. Great game. It's amazing game. Yeah. I love so that. Game. Good. Yeah. I don't know how similar they are. They, they probably aren't too similar, but um, is it like a four X war game or pseudo four X? They kind of fudge on one of the X's, but yes, <laughs> close uh, enough kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. And uh, Radlands. Yeah. I backed that too. And Roxley puts out a ridiculous production with all their games. This one, they, uh, you know, I, I actually owned like all their dice throwing stuff and recently realized like, ah, my tastes have changed speaking of calling and uh, pass that on to somebody who, who would, you know, get more enjoyment out of it. But Radlands, I broke down and, and backed because uh, I follow space Biff or Dan Thoreau. I would say he's the best board game writer slash critic in the industry um because he always puts out very thoughtful and uh you know he he, you can tell he thinks very carefully and deeply about the designs and and the theme of the designs as well and how they integrate well together and um you know he got an early copy of this and had a lot of good things to say about it and so he kind of talked me into it and uh, i'm definitely excited for it as well nice well Anybody else have anything they'd like to share in this uh, very special dentist podcast episode? Uh, probably going for your six month checkup. If you haven't for a while, that'd be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll throw in, uh, don't put your kids in bed with milk or juice. It's a really, really, really bad thing. To do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll give you a pro tip as well. So here we go. Here we go. This one I, I tell, I don't know, maybe I, I overshare it with patients. But when I heard this fact in dental school, I was like, why has nobody told me this? This is like such an easy way to avoid getting cavities and eating fillings. So when you brush your teeth with fluoride toothpaste, it's got to be fluoride. um, You spit it all out, but then don't rinse your mouth with water after that. Just leave the residue sitting on your teeth. They've done studies to show that this reduces cavities. It's so easy. And it's kind of weird at first because your your mouth feels all funny and you want to rinse it with water. But if you get into a good habit of it, um, you know, proof is in the pudding you can uh, avoid some cavities in the future, I would imagine. So <laughs> there's our dental wisdom for you. Any others? I think everyone's signed off already at this point. Yeah, they're, they're tired gone. of our lectures. So. <laughs> gone. Yeah, we steered way off way off base uh, in our uh, podcast specialty topic here and all of our fans are gone. Sorry about that, guys and ladies and gentlemen. So um, yeah, well, Jacob, it's been a delight to have you. It was kind of uh, a very uh, funny thing just like hey i'm a dentist and you guys are dentists let's do a podcast episode but it actually sounded like a lot of fun and it was definitely uh worth doing and, and yeah, i think we covered fun. a lot of Thank fun you. topics yeah. absolutely hopefully maybe if we think of another topic hopefully we have you back soon and yeah. uh you know that that the same goes for uh those of our listeners who also you know, follow and listen along. If you, if you feel like you have something interesting, you'd like to chat about, we are not a dentist exclusive podcast. As I said in the beginning, um, we are by wing games. We obviously are, we're started by two dentists, but, um, we are gamers first and foremost in this, uh, in this realm. And we love this hobby. And so if you want to, uh, come and chat with us or even just leave us a comment on social media, or uh, on our website, you can do so. Um, as we've, you know, shamelessly plugged during this podcast episode, we are coming out with a bundle of Kickstarter games, two of which from the prolific Reiner Kinesia. 
And, uh, you know, we're, we aren't afraid of sharing our opinions on this uh, podcast about any other games. And, and we try to do it and we try to get better at doing it in a tactful and nice way because we realize that we create games as well and everybody has feelings. But if you feel like you have similar opinions um, to us within this board gaming realm, I feel like you may um, really enjoy what we're planning on putting out in this bundle. And so you can follow along on the Bitewing Games website by subscribing to the newsletter or just following us on social media. And we'll keep you updated with really cool artwork, especially coming soon from Paul Williams, our uh, artist partner, who is currently working on Reiner's Games and, and uh, is super excited about those developments. So we're expecting some concept art soon and we will share it with our newsletter people first and then on social media after that. So keep your eye out for it. And again, thank you guys for coming on here. This is always fun, a fun break. You know, most of the podcast episodes are by myself. Um, it's so much easier to just chat with real people though, <laughs> instead of reading, a, I guess, a script. Um, spoilers. I don't just come off up with it from the tip of my tongue, but um, yeah, thank you guys for being here. Thanks again. Thank you.